Today on The Journey. Think about it, what is it that your heart and mind is set on? What absorbs your thinking? What drives your actions? Is it Jesus? A simple magnifying glass aimed at the sun can produce a roaring fire in the kindling below it. So it is with the life focused on God's sun. His light is brought into sharp power that ignites everyone around with God's love and mercy. Today, Ron Moore shares how we can find that devoted focus in our own life. Also, we want you to know about a companion devotional to this series. There you'll learn how to share in Christ's overflowing life, a life full of joy and passion. It's available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmoore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with the message, overflowing, fully focused on the journey. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians as we continue to study through this New Testament book, this letter written to the church in Colossae. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be fully focused on Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3. Let me give you a quick context of this passage of Scripture. You remember that a man named Epaphras was from Colossae. For some reason, he traveled 100 miles west to the city of Ephesus. And while in Ephesus, he heard the message of Jesus Christ. He not only heard the message of Christ spoken by the Apostle Paul, but he believed in the message of Christ. He trusted in Christ. And he not only heard and believed but he was so excited when he went back to Colossae, he shared with everyone he knew about this person of Christ. And there were many in Colossae who trusted in Christ as well. And it wasn't long before there was a church going in the town of Colossae. Now, fast forward about 10 years. As people have started coming to this church, they come from many different backgrounds. Some came from non-Jewish backgrounds or Greek backgrounds, and some of them brought with them a philosophy called Gnosticism. And just a real short description of Gnosticism, a belief in a mystical higher knowledge that is reserved for just an elite group. And so there was some spiritual snobbery going on with that group. On the other side of the aisle, there were those who came from a Jewish background, and they brought with them all the rules and regulations and ceremonies of Judaism. They said, it's about Christ. It's about the Messiah. We trust in Christ. But if you want to be a real Christian, then you also have to do all the rules and regulations of Judaism. And you can imagine there was some conflict and a mess going on in the church. So Epaphras needed some help. So he went to find the Apostle Paul. And the letter to the Colossians was Paul's response to the issues going on in the Colossian church. Now, in chapters 1 and 2, we have seen that Paul is establishing the doctrine of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what you should believe about Jesus. In chapters 3 and 4, beginning today in chapter 3, he's going to move from what you should believe to how you should live. So look at chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Let's just stop there a second. Paul is addressing this to believers. Those who believe that Jesus was fully God, 
fully man, those who believe that Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross for our sins, and we have identified ourselves with his death, we have trusted in his death alone, and not only have we died with him, our sins have been put to death at the cross, but we have been raised with Christ. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, within this description of what a Christian should do, Paul still drives home some critical things we need to know about what Christ did for us. And so he says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul wants to make it clear that we know that the work of Christ is completed. We can add nothing to it. It is full. It is final. So he says, Jesus has been seated. Where is Jesus seated? Jesus sat down. That's Paul's way of saying his work is completed. There's nothing more he can do. He did everything that needed to be done. He sat down at the right hand of God, the place of authority and honor. When Jesus said at the cross, remember his last words? It is finished. He was not saying, my life is over. I've done everything I could do in this life. My life is over. He was using a Greek word, the Greek word tetelestai, which is from the business world, and it means paid in full. It's complete. Everything that needs to be done has been done. Now look at verse 3. For you died. Paul has started by saying, since you are raised, in order to be raised, you had to die. And what's it mean to die. You are separated from your old way of life. You don't live like that anymore. All things are new. For you died, that old self, the part of you separated from God, now you're separated from that life. You're a new person and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Think about that for a second. What's it mean to be hidden with Christ in God, I think three things. Number one, there is identity. It's as if Jesus has pulled us to himself and we now are with him. We are walking with him. We are his friend. He is our friend, the more important part. And there is identity. Secondly, there is safety. We are hidden in him. We are protected in Christ. He keeps us safe, not only in this life, but through eternity. Thirdly, there is eternal security. We are now and will always be protected, hidden with Christ in God. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, Christ is your life. He's the one who gives you life now. He brings satisfaction. He brings joy. He brings peace. And not only does He give you life now, but throughout eternity. Christ, who is your life, when he appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So when Christ appears through death or through the rapture, when he comes again, when Christ appears, then Paul says, you will appear with him in glory. This is not you may appear or there's a chance you will appear. Or we'll just see at the end of the day when you put your good works over here and your bad works over here and see which outweighs the other. Paul doesn't say that. He says, when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. It is definite. The believer has eternal security. 
My background is I am a recovering legalist. So there's a lot in my background that I believed you had to do certain things to be accepted by God. And if you believe you have to do certain things to be accepted by God, when you don't do those certain things, what happens? He doesn't accept you. So I lived about the first 25 years of my life believing that I could lose my salvation. I could lose my relationship with God. I had no eternal security. And I will never forget in Dallas, Texas, on a hot afternoon in a parking lot, I had just gone to a class, one of the first classes I had, and they were talking about from Scripture what it meant to be eternally secure. And there on that parking lot, talking to another guy, realizing that I was a child of God and would forever be. And I can remember it was as if a ton of bricks was lifted from my shoulders. And I realized that there was not only unconditional love that God gave me, there was nothing I could do to make him love me more. There was nothing I could do to make him love me less. If his love is perfect and unconditional, you cannot do something to make him love you more. You cannot do anything to make him love you less. It is a perfect, unconditional love. And when he gives us that love, then our eternity is set. Can you think of anything more freeing? Can you think of anything more powerful than that? To know that I am forgiven, that I am safe in Christ, that I have eternal assurance. What could be better than that? And here's a question. How do we respond to that? How can we demonstrate our love for God who gives us forgiveness, identity, security, and assurance? Well, look at verse 1. Paul says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, what happens when you set your heart on something? That means you desire that thing. You long for that thing. You go after that thing. When your heart is set on something, there is a practical pursuit of it. You're moving toward it. You're going after it. What happens when your mind is set on something? You are obsessed by that. You are intent on it. You are thinking about it. Your mind meditates on it. So when Paul says, set your mind and your heart on Christ, he's saying, Set your heart and pursue Christ with everything you have and set your mind on him and let your thoughts of him control and drive your person. Everything you are, everything you say, everything you do. Set your heart and your mind on Christ. Now, I've told you in the past uh, my love uh, for dogs, Uh, not really. Uh, One dog we had several years was a dog named Bailey, and I've used Bailey in several illustrations. But I haven't in the last couple years because she got really sick, and we had to aid her in her journey to dog heaven. So anyway, Mackenzie was the only one in our family that really liked Bailey, and she wanted another companion. So she told Lori, I mean, she said, look, I either want a brother or sister or a dog. So Laura and I prayed about it for probably a good second and said, dog, I think we'll go with the dog. We wanted her to get a dog that didn't bark, that didn't shed, and was small. Stuffed would be the best one. But Mackenzie had her mind set on a real dog. And so she pursued it. 
She researched it. She checked out books from the library. She bought books. She got prices of dogs. She thought about it all the time until she got a dog. You've experienced the same things. You've had your heart and your mind set on something. It absorbs your thinking. It drives you. You long for it. Think about it. What is it that your heart and mind is set on? What absorbs your thinking? What drives your actions? Is it Jesus? You say, Ron, you know, that's fine. And we would expect you to say that and ask that question. But, you know, life is messy. So that'd be a great ideal. But, you know, we live in a real world. It's hard to keep our minds set on Christ all the time. Certainly for me, it is too. So what does Paul mean when he talks about our heart and mind set on Christ? Does it mean that we retreat to some prayer closet and just have people slide stale bread and water in every once in a while? I don't believe so. This verse does not call us to withdraw from real life. It calls us to pursue Jesus in the midst of real, messy, confusing, complex life. Skip down to verse 17. Paul says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see any exceptions there? Whatever you do, except not in my Bible. And whatever you do, in the midst of your doing, honor Him with your life. And He's going to give you the strength you need to do that. And even when you fail, and you will, I certainly will, our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. Not as a license to sin, but it gives us the freedom to return like the prodigal son and find God welcoming us home with open arms. Go back up a couple verses to verse 15. When we are fully focused on Christ, here's what can happen. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you are called to peace. The peace of Christ is a God-given, supernatural calmness and tranquility in the midst of the mess and chaos of life. It transcends human understanding. And Paul says, let that peace rule in your hearts. Now, I love the word rule because it's a Greek word from the athletic contest. And literally, it means a referee or an umpire. And so Paul is saying, when you're going through some difficult times, when you're going through challenges, when you're facing all the stuff of life, then you just call time out and you say, Lord, my emotions are going south. I'm getting ready to say or do something that will not honor you. So time out. Let your peace rule as a referee in my heart. Let it control my actions. Let the peace of Christ, rule 
in my heart. If we're going to be fully focused, here are two things we have to do. This is not rocket science. Everyone in this room has a full capacity to do these things. But it means that you got to want to do it and you got to make the discipline to do it. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you are going to be fully focused, you have to be reading and meditating upon the word of God. The word dwell means take up residence. Let the word of Christ take up residence in your heart. You got to read it. You got to think about it. You got to memorize it. You have to let it be a part of your heart so that you can keep your focus on Christ. You've got to be in the word. But you can't keep your heart and your mind focused on Christ if you're only reading his word on a Sunday morning or only hearing it on a Sunday morning. It doesn't work that way. It's Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Paul doesn't say, hey, a couple times a week, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So if we're going to have this focus, there are a couple things. One is reading God's word. Look at the rest of the verse. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, what's Paul talking about there? He's talking about worship, isn't he? He's talking about from the depths of your heart, whether you can carry a tune or not, singing expresses your love for who God is. And here Paul is talking about personal worship and corporate worship, doing it together with other believers. There is absolutely, in Scripture, no such thing as a growing, focused believer who is not part of a biblical community where you come together and worship God. So you got to be in God's Word. you got to be doing personal worship. And you have to be engaged in a local community where you are singing and praising and interacting and doing communion and seeing baptisms and seeing baby dedications and learning together and drinking coffee together and interacting together and rubbing shoulders together and getting on each other's nerves and driving each other crazy as you grow and you walk with Christ. See, the fully focused life is determined and intent on pursuing Jesus all the time in every place, whether it's words coming out of our mouth, actions of our hands, desires of our heart. In the Christian life, there is no division of secular and sacred. Those walls are broken down. Everything we do is under, or should be, the rule of Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, Paul says, not just when you go to church, but whatever you do, every day, do it all in the name of Christ Jesus and give thanks to God through him. Whatever you do, no secular, no sacred. It's all under the lordship of Christ. 
So your words and actions at school, on the highway in rush hour traffic, on the job, at home with all the challenges, struggling in relationships, dealing with parenting issues. Whatever you do, in word or deed, keep your mind set on Christ. Now here's a way the writer to the Hebrews says that same thing. The writer in chapter 12 says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, what did he do? Endured the cross. Why was it joy? Because he knew he could offer forgiveness to you and me. For that joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful promise? Keep your eyes focused on Christ because he has his eyes focused on you. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. Would you like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? One who experiences his power, peace, truth, and joy? Well, that's what Paul wanted for the Colossian church and his letter to them still resonates with our hearts today. Let it resonate with yours by claiming your copy of Ron Moore's devotional titled Overflowing. This digital companion to the audio series we're currently enjoying will fill your soul with security, commitment, and liberty in Christ. You can get yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. That's ronmore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now let's rejoin Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The phrase Paul uses, put to death, is used 11 times in the New Testament. Nine of those times, it means to literally kill someone. And so Paul uses that strong, aggressive phrase to say when sin shows up in your life, see it as an intruder. See it as someone trying to come in, steal in your relationship and be hostile to it and be hostile to what it stands for and put it to death. Now, putting sins to death in our life is going to be a challenge as long as we live. Sin would not be tempting if it didn't appeal to us. And we see this so clearly in the first sin. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was what? Good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. Now, do you think if the fruit had been an ugly, bumpy, hard, bitter crab apple, it would have been so tempting? No, but it was good. It was pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable. And she saw, and she wanted, and she took, and she rebelled against the living God. All sin is such a rebellion. Sin is ignoring God's authority, 
anytime we sin, we are exalting our desire over God's known will. So we're saying, God, I know this is what you say, and that's what I want to live by, but you know, I really don't care. I'm going to exalt myself. Well, I know you say not to do it, but I kind of like it. It's kind of looks good and it's appealing and it's desirable. Paul says you can't live like that. You can't let sin control you. You have to put it to death. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And to help you experience the abundant life, we invite you to download a PDF copy of Overflowing. It's a powerful reminder that Christ has provided all you need for life and godliness, a life filled to overflowing. Overflowing is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmore.org. That's ronmore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on the journey.